You're listening to the Building Stronger Agents podcast, where we interview the top solo agents, team leaders, and brokers across the country to see what makes them thrive in today's market and beyond. Welcome back to the Building Stronger Agents podcast, everyone. I'm excited today to have an excellent guest. He's one of the top agents in Northeast Ohio. He has a team of 40 agents, which is larger than most small brokerages. He's been in the business for 15 years, and last year they sold about 500 houses. Uh, Today we have Mike Ferrante with Century 21 Homestar on the podcast. And today what we're going to do is we're going to break down when is a good time to start a team. It seems like the sexy thing to do right now is to start a team. It's like everyone wants to buy their first rental property. Uh, And today we're going to get into how Mike got into this business. He's been doing it 15 uh, 15 years. Uh, He had a career before that, I'm sure. I'm excited to hear what he did before and what the heck got him into this world. So, Mike, tell us all about yourself. Um, Well, Will, I think I warned you. I was going to start off with a joke to kind of pre-lead into this whole team conversation. So I have a great friend uh, who happens to be Greek. And uh, one day my friend Chuck said to me, hey, Mike, what did one Greek guy say to the other when he bumped into him on the street? And I'm like, I don't know, Chuck, what? And he's like, he said, hey, let's start a restaurant. You know, because all the restaurants are owned by Greeks. And so, you know, two guys, you know, hey, let's just start a restaurant. So it's kind of the same conversation about starting a team. And like you said, it's the new sexy thing to, to do. But, yeah, so, you know, I think there's definitely a strategy to teams and real estate and all that. But, you know, as as, as far as me and, and what I do and what got me in the business, I think like a lot of people, uh, you're the unicorn really in being a lifetime real estate person. I kind of backed into it. You know, I was I had other jobs and construction and I was a, a rehabber, a rental owner. And at a certain point, I got tired of the job that I had. And I said, hey, why not real estate? And so I started as a part time agent. In 2008, right before the entire housing market co- collapsed on itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's or funny. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, and it was perfect timing because, uh, you know, like like we know, uh, changing, shifting markets is a great time to take market share when other people are running around saying the sky is falling. You know, that's a great time to adapt and change and, and, and modify your business to take market share because things are changing. You know, that's that's the whole whole idea. And uh, believe me, I fumbled through forming a team and I'm hoping to, you know, share some of those mistakes and help people who are thinking about it, not make those mis- mistakes. But, you know, definitely the construction background that I had and owning properties prepared me for it. So I wasn't your typical brand new agent. But in 2008, uh, it was a great time to work with investors and all these uh, REO and short sale properties. So it, it ended up being really good timing for me. Plus, you came into with this with this irrational enthusiasm, just being a new agent which kind of blurred out some of the negativity in the background, hearing about banks closing and countrywide falling apart and Bank of America buying countrywide and uh, all, you know, all, all these other huge organizations falling apart. You were still enthusiastic because you were new in the business. So you were trying to find opportunities more so than someone who'd been doing it a while, I think. Yeah, and I think I saw the converse of that. You know, what you're uh, talking about is agents who said, oh, I don't do bank-owned or I don't do short sales. That's beneath me. And so uh, I kind of sometimes joke. I say, look, I I got into the business as a brand-new agent, and I was picking up all the table scraps of everybody else that didn't want that. Or, hey, I don't want this crust of bread, this short sale, this uh, $20,000 bank-owned property. And by picking up all those little scraps, I created a magnificent feast for myself eventually yeah because you got you were just trying to get anything and we had already formed our grooves we had our lanes in our highway already developed and you got in going I need to sell 20 30 houses just to get you know to support my family and so you didn't really care if it was a crust of bread in your words you just needed yeah. to get some you need to get some business well, and so I guess to that point, you know, I'll, again, I'll reiterate, I started as a part-time agent. I was working the construction job, and my thought was, hey, I like real estate. I've invested in real estate. I know a thing or two about it. Um, and so my first year as a part-time agent, I sold 12 homes, which is re- respectable, you know, especially working a 50-hour-a-week job. Uh, but well, kind of like you. 2008. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was actually 2009. I, I got licensed in December. 
Yeah, right, exactly. So I got licensed December of 09 or 08 and then in 09, my first year really working in real estate. I started in January. I sold 12 homes. The next year was 35 and the year after that wow. was 65 and that's when I by gave yourself. notice by myself. Yeah, no assistant, nothing. So 65 by myself part-time and that's when I gave notice at my job. So, you know, for, for you part-timers out there who are look, aspiring to become full-time agents, you know, there's two ways to do it. There's one, burn the boats, quit your job, and jump in with both feet. And I applaud you if you do that. That takes some uh, really, uh, it takes a lot of bravery. And uh, the other way to do it is the way a lot of us do it, is to build your business up to a point where you feel safer in cutting the ties to the job, give your notice and do what I did. You know, I matched my income in real estate at my job and that's when I gave my notice and they were shocked, you know, but it was, it was a good feeling. I, I wasn't mad at them. I just wasn't enjoying the job anymore. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm making a living in real estate. It's time. And I gave my two weeks notice and the rest is history. When you're making a sustainable living in this business, there's nothing better because you do have freedom, freedom. And you know, those commission checks ease all pains. So at the end of the day, which is kind of appropriate for this conversation, because at the end of the day, we are real estate salespeople and we earn money one way, uh, selling homes, helping buyers sell, buy houses, helping sellers sell houses and, and earning a fee in the process. And uh, too many of us now, I'm seeing the trend, I'm starting to sound like a crotchety old man. You and I are about the same age, but so many of these agents are trying to remove themselves from sales like early on in the process. And it's like before they even get any foundation built whatsoever, they're trying to scale with people. And there's an excellent book called The E-Myth. Have you ever read it? I haven't. It's on my list. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much about somebody who is a baker and and they get encouraged to uh, to to make cakes and have a store and the entrepreneurial myth or the e-myth is that just because you're a good technician doesn't mean that you're a good leader a biz good business owner and and too many real estate agents think just because they get good at selling houses that that somehow translates into being a good leader and there is absolutely zero connection whatsoever like there is zero connection between scaling leading people and selling homes None. That's whatsoever. right. There, that's there's so a similar. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there's a similar principle in uh, business. Uh, it's called the Peter principle. And uh, the idea right. being that in, if you're in a job, you get promoted because you do your job well. Then you get promoted because you do that job well. And the idea of the Peter principle is that you get promoted to your level of incompetence. So you get promoted because you're good at something to a different job. And then you're not good at the job they promoted you to, so you fail at it. But it's the same kind of thing. And the, the e-myth, I, I, I've listened to some stuff on it. I've never finished it, but it's, it's totally true. You know, we know tradesmen like that, right? Just because you're a good plumber doesn't mean you can run a plumbing company. The vast majority of them break off, start their own business. And again, they're great technicians. They're terrible at uh, finding jobs. They're terrible at communicating with their customers. They're terrible at collecting money. Um, and then they end up a lot of times end up going back to a job because it just becomes too frustrating for them. So yeah. back, um, you know, you, you, you started getting doing well right away. Um, and you were at century 21 back then. Have you been there the whole time? Yeah. Whole time. So, so you made centurion awards your third year. Uh, I don't remember. I, you know, I love the awards and they're Six all stacked somewhere. Yeah, maybe it was, maybe centurion was the third, third year. I'm, this isn't about me, but I was pretty proud. I was the youngest centurion in Ohio at 25 because I made, I sold 60 houses when I was, uh, it was my sixth year in the business. Um, but, and there were much smaller homes back then. I think my average sale price was like 69.9 or something. I think I, I sold 60 houses and got the, got the $5 million award. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, yeah. Here, here, here in Cleveland, we're 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 pet, we're still pedaling in first gear. You know, uh, back when I started, I think our average sale price was around one twenty. Today, average sale price in Cleveland around two hundred thousand. So, the rest of you guys right. listening to this, selling those uh, eight hundred thousand dollar homes as your average, we're we're a little jealous, and we we just have to pedal the bike ten times faster than you guys. 
I'm not that jealous. And the reason is like you go to areas like uh, Bethesda, Maryland, or, you know, where homes are very thousand dollars a foot or parts of Florida or uh, most of California or Boston, Massachusetts, the real estate agents are selling $800,000 homes, but then they have to make enough money to buy an $800,000 home or, <laughs> you know, so they're living there too. So it makes it, makes it harder for them. So yeah. how long did you stay a solo agent? So I kind of followed the red book, as they call it, the the Gary Keller millionaire real estate agent millionaire model. I didn't agent. read it. Yeah, I didn't read the book early enough. Uh, but I can tell you the first thing I did was hire an assistant. You know, I know that, uh, you know, going back to my stupid dad joke mm -hmm. at the beginning about, you know, the two Greek guys saying, hey, let's start a restaurant. I think that agents right. uh, make this mistake. You know, we, we get asked this question all the time, you and I will, as as team leaders. Hey, you know, when's the right time to start a team? And, you know, I, I, I sold 25 houses last year. Should I start a team? And I think that p part of the answer is, you know, you should follow the recipe. You know, there it, it's don't figure this out on your own. You know, there are books like Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent book uh, that give you a, a path to follow. And I think the first thing that you do is you leverage your own time. You know, I remember you telling me you sold over 100 homes as a solo agent. And yes, you had admin help. But why not just leverage your own time and keep everything in-house if you can. Now, yes, there's a time and place to start a team, and I know we'll get into that, where you bring other agents in and, and help them uh, sell more homes, and of course, you reap some benefits of that. But the first thing I did was hire an assistant, uh, and that helped me immensely. Yes. That leveraged me to get over 100 homes just like you did. What did, um, what did this assistant do for you? Well, of course, your first assistant has to wear a bunch of hats. You know, I think that's pretty common for the average real estate agent because unless you're going to source out some of those tasks to a company. So, for example, there are companies that do transaction coordination and they'll char charge you per file. So you certainly could say, well, you know what, my assistant is only going to handle my listings and maybe do some paperwork for me. But once it's under contract, I'm going to hand off to a, a transaction coordinator. And, and some companies, you know, I know there's some companies here in town and I'm sure all over the country that have an in-house TC. So, you know, my assistant, though, did everything. So she handled uh, marketing for me, Facebook posts, uh, uh, basic paperwork, scheduling open houses, uh, putting the listings in the showing service, uh, answering the phone, answering questions. You know, she was my first uh, line of defense against uh, many of the questions. And if she couldn't answer, only those questions she could not answer would get forwarded to me. So literally, it's like adding a third arm, having someone who can mm -hmm. do some tasks for you that aren't worthy of your time so that we as agents can focus on income generating activities. And that's that's what I yeah. did. And in contrast, um, I, I did a little different. I I knew that I had to get some help, but I got someone to help me. Um, I got them. They were licensed. So I had uh, Sherry Stanley. She was my first uh, assistant. She was from Tennessee and she had a heavy, heavy Tennessee accent. She was great. But what she did, she um, she'd put list, she'd hand listings into the office because I was at Century 21 back then as well, and uh, she would also show homes for me. So I knew that my biggest, if you think of the biggest time, the biggest time sucks in our business. Um, they're going to be trans, trans, closing coordination or transaction management, right? And they're going to be showings. So I I figured like back then, I I had a disproportionate number of buyers versus sellers you know when we're younger it's easier to get buyers and then you end up working yourself to death so in 1997 that's when i got my first because i i could sell i could sell as you know selling 60 houses a year um isn't that hard i mean it, like if you've got business coming in selling one or so houses a week, you got a whole week to sell a house. As long as you've got business coming in and you're prospecting or however you get it, it's not that tough. But I wanted to, uh, 1996, we had our first child and I didn't want my wife to have another reason to leave me. So I didn't want to be gone every night and every, every weekend or all weekends. So I had Sherry show houses for me at night and on the weekends. And then during the day, and I'd pay her extra, and she didn't have kids. And then uh, during the day, um, she would imp she would hand in listings to the office. She would 
um, handle my pending sales. So like you, I had working working several things but for me because i was selling about 70 percent buyers versus you know listings i had her show houses and then i evolved into getting somebody else after she moved back uh to tennessee because she didn't like living in Cuyahoga falls because she wasn't able to sunbathe naked so she moved back to tennessee just for that reason she said so but she was awesome, awesome. but so in my world, I just found somebody to replace that. You, you know, you had them do like everything. I had transaction coordination. We didn't have the internet back then. There was no social media. Um, so I would have her show houses. So there's the, the good news is, I mean, you've got 40 agents. I've got three. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat and have a very financially lucrative business doing what we're doing, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there's, and I think that's a key point is that there's, there there's a multitude of right ways to do it. There are some wrong ways to, to do it. Lots uh, of wrong ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that the important thing is to uh, identify what your, you know, what your identity is, what your strengths are, what your assets are, what you're good at, and, and build on that. You know, I think that when we start talking to people about, hey, what's the right time to start a team? Should I start a team? You know, the first question that I ask is, okay, what what are your assets? You know, it's kind of like that scene in The Princess Bride when they're getting ready to uh, storm the gates at the end and they got the man in black and he says, okay, we're going to storm the castle. What are our assets? And uh, Inigo is like, my sword, his strength, your brains. And the Wesley's like, that's it? You know, <laughs> I would need at least a week to plan this assault. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same thing with, with, with real estate agents. I mean, just simply saying, well, I sold 25 houses last year. I'm pretty good at this. You know, is that enough to really say you're ready to start a team? Because, you know, and I'm sure we're going to say this, these words more than once. I think the key in starting a team is what is your value proposition? What do you have to give to other agents to attract them to want to be with you? So it's not it's not what can I get oh, from other agents? It's what can I give? What do I have to give that's going to make people want to come and be attracted to working with me? You want to be able to think about what you have that can be tools for somebody else that is going to make them want to give up part of their commission to you to make their life easier. Kind of like you brought yeah. people in to make your life easier. You're, you're not starting a team to make your life easier. And if you do, too many agents, in my opinion, and again, I'm cynical, they they think it's sexy and their ego jumps to the front of the car and they and they decide that they want to be a pimp you know they want to be a pimp and get hookers that's what they want to do and they think that well if i can get if i can get agents to come and work for me and i can get part of their commission then i can take more time off and it becomes about me 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 and that is where they make their first mistake and the second mistake is we were joking around earlier they've barely got their own career off the ground and, you know, someone in their office suggests that they should have a team too. And they have no idea what it takes to bring people in, have people uh, meld with each other, manage personalities, handle conflict. And like you just said, provide value. Obviously you didn't grow to 40 agents overnight. Give us an idea. How did you start this whole team thing? I'm sure it started by accident, knowing you, You're right. right? I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, and again, I wish I had a better plan, and that's why I can't advocate enough for reading, getting a mentor, uh, really talking to people who've done it before instead of trying to figure everything out on your own. Uh, but I got to a point where, like you, buyers were a, a drain on my time. I was starting to get more listings because I had this reputation. I had a, tr a little bit of a track record, and I was able to walk into appointments with more confidence and capture listings, which, of course, you know, is a struggle for new agents. But we were all new agents at one point, so you know, I don't want to hear that as an excuse from anyone in our audience here today. But you know, certainly, I got to a point where I was generating more leads, more buyers than I could handle, and I thought, hey wouldn't it be great if I had another agent on the team that I could hand these off to so while I love the showing agent model that, that you talked about uh, I chose a different path again just because I didn't know any better it was the only path I knew and I said hey I should get another agent who wants to work with me I'll give them these leads in exchange for a cut 
and and that's truly how the team started. My first agent joined me. I figured, you know, I'm I'm a good teacher. You know, I'm good at explaining how to do things. So I felt like I could add some value for him as a brand new agent. Hey, here's how you do it. Here's how I converted leads. Here's how I showed buyers, and here's how how to write contracts. And and that's what I did. Frankly, I was generating leads just organically through my business. And this guy said, "Yeah, I want to work with with you." So it wasn't it wasn't even like I I had to market for somebody. This guy came to me and said, "I want to be an agent." And I said, "Wow, what great timing! Here here you go." And from there, I fumbled along until uh, I, you know finally got some good processes and people in place. And now we have systems and infrastructure. And you know, it's it, as you said, it's grown to forty people. So how how far in did you get your first agent? You got licensed in 08? Uh, 2012. Okay, so four years. So on, just on the other side of the, that, that little housing crash mess, um, t 2012, things were picking back up again. And from what I remember, houses were starting to sell. You know, it was a more of a balanced market by then in Northeast Ohio. We didn't have a total collapse like a lot of markets did. In fact, I made it through without doing one short. I did one short sale the whole hmm. time. You're a lucky man. Um, well, it wasn't. I just, I was fortunate that I'd been in the business for 20 years. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I don't want to go on, but I was, I struggled a lot in 2009, but 2010, 11, 12 were really good years for me because I just dug in and uh, came out the other side. So anyone who's struggling right now, because of this desperate shortage of inventory that we're having. Um, just know that as long as you keep working and prospecting, you got to prospect and get on the phones. There's no way around it. Um, there just isn't. I mean, you can do social media all you want. It's not going to be enough. And you can, you know, send out postcards and spend money. It's not going to be enough. You need to get out there and have conversations. I'm sure Mark, Mike would agree with me on that. Um, it's all about the number of conversations. We're going to get through this, and on the other side of it, we're going to have fewer real estate agents. People will start feeling more comfortable putting their homes on the market. This shortage is because the, the, whenever you have such ferocity in a real estate market, there's going to be people that can't afford to buy before they sell. They kind of just hunker down again, even though they were hoping all this pent-up energy over the last two or three years with this fast-paced market, now it's gotten worse because people don't want to leave their 3.5% or 3% interest rate. and Plus, the fast pace of it is making them just kind of sit on the sidelines because they don't want to sell their house and have nowhere to go. But that's going to this is this is permanent. I was telling someone the other day, there was a time where I thought that new kids on the block was going to be around forever. You know, it's like, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how are they going to just be around forever? And, you know, everybody has their turn and every market changes. You know, we thought that 2009 was going to last forever and it was a couple years later, we were fine again. And whatever we're going through right now, um, it'll it'll normalize, don't you think? I do. And I think to your point, you know, agents now are saying, oh, you don't understand. It's so hard out there. Well, listen, we do, because 2008 to 2011, we had the same problem in reverse. You couldn't sell a house. No one wanted to buy, you know, their houses would sit on the market for six months. And the problem was because prices were going down, you, you'd be lowering the price, but you'd be behind the market. So, you know, we, we struggled with um, uh, selling homes, not because there wasn't enough inventory, but there was too much inventory and not enough buyers. Everyone was scared. They lost their jobs. The foreclosures uh, were at an all-time high. So believe me, we know it's any any market you can be su successful in. It does. It, it, it's just a matter of what's the right strategy in that market. And you know, Will, you and I did it. We 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 busted through that market. You know, like I told you, my numbers. I tripled my business, doubled my business during that time. So I just had the right plan. And again, was I brilliant? No. I you know, frankly, I kind of um, bumbled into it. But the one thing I will say is I worked my ass off. Oh yeah. I sat in, on my couch in Silver Lake. I would get up restless and I would not want to wake my wife up. So I go down to the, in the living room, sit on the couch, which faced the front of the house and look at the lamp across the street, just panicking, going, how am I going to keep doing this? I just don't know. And this was 2009. I'm like, I can't, I sold 39 homes in 2009 and I was used to selling 70. 
by myself. I have my own brokerage. And I, so my income, I, I made eight, I, I grossed $84,000 in 2009. And I'd never, I had made under a hundred grand a year in forever. And, uh, but I just kept doing, I just kept focusing on calling expires, calling for sale by owners and just calling, 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 calling my past clients, telling them it's okay. And I just did that for hours and hours a day on top of the sales. 2010, I sold 110 houses. You know, yeah, it's a simple business. We always say, year later. yeah, we always say it's a simple business, but it, it, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But the simplicity of the yeah. business is, hey, do you, would you like to sell more houses? Here's the answer. You ready? Talk to more people. Simple. I was, yeah, and the, the reason that real estate agents, 87% don't make it to their fifth year anniversary is because one thing, their paychecks get too far apart. And they, their paychecks get too far apart because they aren't making enough phone calls and they're not having enough conversations and they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of abandonment. Um, and th they just don't want to get on the phone there. They don't want to have conversations. It's, it's not that hard. The worst thing someone can do is hang up on you uh, or yell at you. And that's not that rarely ever happens. If you're a hardworking real estate agent and you're struggling to get ahead of it and not pay a referral fee or pay for monthly leads, and you just want to get a referral-based business so that you can have a long career, I've got a solution for you. My name's Will Penny. I've been a realtor since 1988. Two years ago, I started a private Facebook group. It's been the best thing I've ever done. We now stay top of mind with our sphere four to five days a week, and we get more referrals than we ever did before. If you'd like to mimic my success, all you've got to do is go to socialorchard.com. S-O-C-I-A-L-O-R-C-H-A-R-D.com. For as little as $89 a month, you can have a private Facebook group, all the content, so all you have to do is stay in touch with your people. It's the best thing I've done in my whole career. How did you get to 40 agents, man? I mean, you've got a massive team. How? So, uh, yeah, that's a, a big leap from accidentally acquiring my first buyer's agent to, to 40, and that was from, let's see, 2012, and now, it, so that's over the course of 11 years, we grew from one to 40. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, it was just all about adding different value propositions to the team. So initially, my only value proposition was a surplus of business. Then we started saying, well, what else can we add? What else do we need? You know, and that's when I started reading the uh, Red Book, as they call it. And each I've read that book three times now, and each time through it, I was at a different place in my business. And so I, I learned from, from that, you know, what sorts of things could be added to a team to make it more attractive for people to team up with you. <clears throat> so now, you know, we have things like uh, an admin staff. There's different reasons why people feel like they need a team but you know having an admin staff for example is huge most agents don't want to take the leap of hiring a full-time person because what happens when you're not busy you know most most agents like you said is a roller coaster yeah you know you you can't pay them you gotta lay them off you know and no one's gonna join you you can't retain talent on your admin staff if you can't keep them busy so you know adding the admin staff for example was a was a huge benefit um, Another benefit, you know, is the whole marketing package, the brand recognition. So, you know, yeah, you might be with a big brand and there might be some value in that. But, you know, for example, you had you had your own brand for a long time, but because your name was recognizable, you had clout in the business. Uh, other agents find value in that. So, gee, do I want to go on a listing appointment and compete against this team that sold 500 houses last year? And when the seller asks me hey, how many houses did you sell last year? And you say five or even 20. You know, is that enough to get them over the hump, get the sellers over the hump of saying, well, that's good enough. You know, I, I have confidence in you despite those disparity in, in the numbers. Uh, so, you know, again, it's it, adding that value proposition, um, you know, the, the admin staff, brand recognition, and the other big one, Will, the other big one that I think is the number one reason that people join the team is they want to learn. They want a mentor. They want someone to say, how did you do it? How can I achieve the same or similar success that you have? And I think that is the yeah. number one reason that people join me. They said, hey, this guy knows something. 
I want to know what he knows. You pay for leads or is it all about resources, support, mentorship? So on and off over the years, we've tried different lead sources. I'll be honest, we have not had great ROI with paid lead sources. Uh, but hey, you've got to try things. You know, if you're not out there making mistakes, then you're not trying hard enough. Uh, right now, our number one lead source is Facebook. And our Facebook leads are organic. We do some paid advertising on Facebook, but if I spend $100 a month on Facebook, that's a lot. You know, we're doing things like boosting open houses. We're leveraging our listings. We're turning organic leads into sales. And then we're building relationships. You know, we're not a very transactional team. We're more relationship-based. So we're all about mm -hmm. uh, giving people that experience where they want to refer us. You know, they can't get our card or our phone number out of their contact uh, fast enough when someone says, oh, I'm thinking about buying or selling. You know, that's that's the type of team that, that we've grown. So we're not heavy, heavy phone dialers. It's really more about generating the organic leads and leveraging what we have into more business. If you get a listing, for example, and you're not turning that into two, three, maybe five new clients, you're missing the boat. How does an agent do that? Give us some specifics. Well, yeah, you know, I was just thinking uh, we should do a whole session on leveraging your your, your listings. Uh, but frankly, Real what quick, like what could an agent? Yeah. If an agent gets a listing and they have a Facebook account, what's an easy way, in your opinion, to get some organic inquiries? Like, what would a couple things that they could do? Yeah. Um, so I'll throw out a few ideas. I'm sure you'll have a few to add. But uh, let me start with what mo what what most agents do. Most agents put it in the MLS, have an open house, and maybe do a photo or maybe, maybe if we're lucky, a quick video on, on, on Facebook. Hey, here's my new listing, blah, blah, blah. That's not enough. That, that's frankly not enough. I, I think that, you know, not only should you be doing video and, you know, uh, uh, you should be on every platform that you use. Now, don't be overwhelmed when I say every platform, because I'm not saying every platform. I'm saying every platform that you use. If you love TikTok, get on TikTok. Talk about your listing. Talk about the process of preparing it and, you know, how the different things you did to help the seller. You know, you could do five one-minute videos on, on, on TikTok. So I think social media is huge. I think that the open house is huge and doing open houses the right way, not one sign in the front yard and hoping that Zillow sends people to your open house. How about creating a Facebook event? How about throwing 10, 20, a hundred dollars yeah, you know, ten, twenty, a hundred dollars behind a boost. And, and I know, listen, boosts are not a magic formula to create leads. What a boost does is it just puts it in front of more eyes. And here's what happens, Will. The interesting thing for me about social media is that social media is not a magic pill. It's not a way, oh, I did an ad and I got five new buyers. No, social media is a snowball process. What starts to happen and what, and what happened to me by doing these very simple things is that I'd bump into people or I'd talk to someone on the phone and these words would come out of their mouth. They would say, Mike, I see you everywhere. Okay, it, I'm not everywhere. The difference is that they are on Facebook, for example, because that's where I was most prolific, and they see me on Facebook. But they see me on Facebook over and over and over again. Every time I get a listing, I'm leveraging it. I'm, I'm letting people know, hey, I'm out here doing stuff. It's called social proof, right? Um, so, you know, simple stuff like that, you know, making sure that your uh, open houses are uh, publicized on all the right websites. Um, door knocking neighborhoods. Now, I, I did a little bit of that. I love door knocking. I think it's actually kind of fun. Uh, but inviting the neighbors to the open houses, you know, having 30 signs up so that people are driving by the neighborhood going, geez, this Mike Ferrante is having open houses every weekend. You know, that sort of Great brand recognition. Omnipresence. Omnipresence, right? I see you everywhere, but you're actually, it's because you're, you're doing a lot more things around one action. That's right. That's that. That's right. It's it's going overboard with the action. So you know, I threw out a number of thirty signs. I'm not joking about that. I'm not saying that to speak in hyperbole. We'll put out twenty to thirty signs for an open house just because. And when people say why, my answer is simple: Why not? <laughs> it's marketing. Yeah, it's good. Do you do yeah. retargeting ads on uh, on Facebook when people see you somewhere else? Do you do that? Um, I'm not that skilled. I do have a marketing guy now who has done a little bit of that for me. Uh, but frankly, we're adding people to a database. We're doing some uh, MailChimp drip drip campaigns. Uh, we're doing uh, events. You know, we're doing client appreciation events. Uh, 
whenever we have something of value to give, you know, again, it's all about giving. Um, so we recently did a class, you know, how you said earlier, everybody thinks it's cool to form a team or buy their first investment property. Hey, we know that's a thing. That's a trend in the industry. So we just recently had a mastermind class where we invited our entire database. Hey, interested in real estate investing? You and I both know that's a buzzword right now. People are like, you know, maybe I should get into real estate. So even if they don't attend the event, the invitation alone is, again, another one of those instances of, geez, Mike's everywhere. He's selling all these houses. His team's doing all this. And he's teaching people right. how to invest in real estate. This is powerful stuff. Yeah, that's really good. All right. So let's throw the brakes on for a second. If it because we said at the beginning, when is the best time to start a team? So let's take a couple minutes as we round down. Um, when obviously one of the reasons to start a team is if you have too much business, you got too much business coming in and you can't handle it yourself and you feel like you've got a lot of spillage or, you know, you're not able to handle everything or you're just working far too many hours and your work work life balance is completely out of whack. Um, let's talk about that for a minute, Mike. Yeah, when, just like when, you. When these solo agents, when should they really be thinking about starting a team instead of just because their team leader told them or their manager told them, hey, I think you'd be a great team leader. You should get some people. Yeah, so I, I think the answer is different for, for everybody, you know, and I and I really firmly believe in starting with an admin. Some it's it's about leverage. So when you when you hit a certain threshold, and it, and again, I can't tell you dollars or number of units, it's gonna be different for each person. You know, you and I both exceeded a hundred units before we really started a team. That's not the right answer for everyone. But what I can tell you is that the answer for everyone is when do you have enough to give to other people that they are interested in, in joining with you. Um, I, I'm personally not a big fan of, hey, you do a little bit of business, I do a little bit of business, let's team up because that's going to help us both row in the same direction. Oh. I'm not saying it's impossible to do that, but I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan that's of that model. That's the two Greek guys. That's the it two is. Greek guys. <laughs> it is, yeah. Let's I like how you bring that full, bring, bring it full circle, yeah, yeah. But seriously, yeah, that's that's not that's I don't think that's the best model. Um, I you know I I think the best model is to build the pieces. So so decide you know what's the best like the I love the buyer's agent model. You know I have a ton of buyers. Do I want to hire someone to do showings for me? Would I rather hand those off and and collect a percentage when they close a deal? Uh, but then again, you have to ask yourself when these agents join you, one of the biggest fears of team leaders, and I don't dwell on this, but one of your fears, just like an, uh, an employer hiring an employee, one of your fears is that you're going to bring this person on, groom them, train them, teach them everything you know, and then they're going to leave you for a better job, right. to go solo, for a different team. And I think that that's the key. When you have enough resources, enough benefits, that you know you can attract talent and retain them, that's the time to start a team. So I know it's kind of a vague, big picture answer, but that's the key. And I think you have to look in the mirror and say, do I have enough? Not only can I attract talent, but can I retain them? So basically what you're saying is you work really hard, which I know a lot of agents don't want to hear. They're looking for ways to work less. So you work really hard and then you bring people in to make that easier on you. And then the next step would potentially be to start thinking about adding a person or attracting other people where you can help build them. So at first it's about making your life easier and then once you really know what you're doing and you've already got some support, then maybe think about helping other people do better. And I think yeah. too many agents, again, I go back to the pin Hooker thing, but it's all about their ego, you know? It's like what the sexiest time in a, in a lawyer's life is when they're in a bar in law school and they get to tell a girl that they're in law school and the girl goes, oh, well, the sexiest time in a realtor's life is when they get to post on Facebook that they're starting a team and they get 156 likes and all these comments saying, you go, you know, and the, the fist emoji and the flames and LFG. And I just found out what LFG meant. But the point, <laughs> right. is, that, the, the point is, is that most of the time you can see when they start that that a year from now it's going to look completely different. Yeah. People are going to think they, we're we're because it's about their ego. 
Yeah, yeah. People are going to think we're a couple of criminal masterminds because you use your pimp uh, hooker analogy. I use a drug dealer analogy. So I always say that I'm like a drug dealer and that uh, I have I'm giving something to my teammates and and I'm making it such that it's too painful for them to leave me. You know, so kind of like here, take a little taste. And then, you know, of course, they keep coming back for for more. But in all seriousness, it is about that. It's it's about making making such a great, comfortable place for them to grow and thrive that they have no interest in in leaving. And if I have to compare the pimp, hooker, drug dealer, um, drug addict, the drug dealer, drug addict's better because at least you're giving pimp hooker. You're taking. <laughs> right. You're, right. There's you're, nothing you're, giving about being a pimp. You're 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 welcome to borrow my analogy. People listening to these yeah. quotes out of context are going to be like, "Who are these idiots?" But it's it's true. It's about it. All this is psychology, and and before you start a team, you need to know right away that just because you're a good real estate agent. Just because you're good with your buyers and sellers, just because you're com- good at converting a for sale by owner, does not mean that you're going to be able to know who to work uh, with. It doesn't mean that you're going to know how to have other, how to show other people to work well with each other. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to rally the troops and lead the ship. It doesn't mean any of that. In fact, there there's zero connection. That's why so many. That's why so many people who buy, they live in a home, therefore I'll buy a rental. But the problem is the rental, now you're in the human business. And when you have a team, you go beyond the house business, you know, lead convert, lead generation, lead conversion. That's our biz- business. Now you're getting into managing people, making them see value in you, putting your ego aside so that you can provide value to those people which is not pimp hooker. That's the reason agents start, but it's n- successful teams never thrive that way. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, speaking of uh, teams again, you know, there, there's no one right model either. You know, just because I have 40 and you have three doesn't mean my team's better. It truly doesn't. You know, I think it's important to decide what kind of team do you want to be, just like you want to decide what kind of agent do you want to be. I mean, I think the SEAL team model, you know, as they call it, is freaking brilliant you know where you only bring on uh like rock star agents who share your vision and if you have one two five agents and that's your seal team and you guys all do it and you crush it and each one is selling 50 units a year and you know x number of million believe me that's a lot easier than the model i've created which is i have two-thirds of my agents are part-time agents who are needy and you know I hope they're not listening to this but you know frankly they they don't do uh, as much business so they have more questions that's that's what I mean by by needy they need more help but when you have a a team of seal you know seal squad members these are ninja rock stars who are out there doing their their, their thing but they need a different value proposition than the agents on my team. You know, my agents need help, you know, because they might sell two or three houses a year. So when they get a weird situation that they've never encountered, they're like, oh, my God, what do I do? So, you know, again, pick your model and build your value proposition around that model because there is, again, no one right way to do it. There's a lot of right ways, but like you, like we said earlier, a lot of wrong ways, too. Way more wrong ways. Well, and using our team structure as an example, you know, in 2019, 20 and 21 and 22 have just been all kind of weird all over the place. But 2019, we sold 256 houses with uh, seven people, right? And so you look at my team structure and everyone, uh, three of the agents were double duty. Showing agent for me, plus plus she sold 35 houses. Listing manager for me, plus she sold 30 plus houses. Then my transaction coordinator also sold homes. And then we had, and then I had another mini team at my brokerage. So the the downside, there's lots of upsides. You know, we did a $1.6 million in commissions with seven people. It was very, very lucrative for me and for them. The downside though, is that then you start managing egos. And the minute I start showing, like I go to Florida two months a year, well, when you've got egos and they're thinking that they're supporting your lifestyle, right? So now you're dealing with that whole juggle. With your team, you've got, like you said, you've got some part-time agents. 
If you aren't there to help them, you and I have entirely different personalities. So I could not, if I had 40 agents, they would leave me. They would leave me because they would feel that I was self-centered. They would feel like I would give them the wrong, you know, the resting bitch face look every once in a while, even though I didn't mean to. Right. So you're, you're more of a teacher. You're, uh, I'm a very empathetic person. You know, I've been married 30 years, but I know my, it goes back to what you said, know your strengths and weaknesses. I don't have the ability to have a 40 person team and actually make it sustainable and make it about them. Right. I do well with what I have because we all provide value to each other, but I could not do it at your level. So I've had to do it yeah. in different ways. Um, yeah. You have to provide you. You have an entirely different set of skills to be able to. You're like the. Um, I don't want to say. I mean, you're like a teacher. That's you're like the leader teacher, and they come to you for help. Like a, you're pretty much like a broker at an office. Yeah, yeah, that it's sort of a rainmaker model too. But you know, to your point about yeah. the weaknesses. I, I think that weaknesses don't necessarily have to limit your business either. You know, you, uh, no. you the listeners, if you know you have a weakness, find a way to fill that hole. If you're if you're not a good teacher, for example, um, hire someone who who is and make that person. You know, maybe they're an agent on the team who doubles as uh, the training coordinator. Trainer. Yeah, yeah. Or or get coaching. Exactly. Pay instead of hiring someone, pay for coaching. Get team coaching. You know, the platform I'm in is Tom Ferry, and they have a whole team platform. Um, you know, what I do, because I'm I'm a, a decent teacher, is I do the coaching and bring it back to the team rather than doing the team model. But there, there are ways to identify your weaknesses and not let them limit your business. You know, whatever your weakness is, mm -hmm. believe me, there is a way to fill that hole. If you want a team, then you better be able to identify their potential, not your potential for them. Right. So that's another mistake we make. We see someone and I've got my head on and I'm looking at you going, oh, my God, he's so well dressed and he talks so well and he seems so motivated that that you can't hire based on that because it rarely works out. But figuring out the right things to say, the right questions to ask and building this like in, this spidey sense where you can identify strengths in the people on your team and exploit those strengths to build up their um, their ego and then and use those strengths to make your team better than it be, would be without you without them and you so you're you're using the strengths that people have like I had in my my uh, listing manager well she was she loved events so we started doing client events and she would handle the entire thing because she loved it the benefit for her was that she would also invite her clients so she didn't mind doing it but that's an example if I was left to, to do client events we'd never do them because I'm terrible. I'm with you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I have a girl who does that for me. The point here is slow your roll when it comes to starting a team. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If you're doing it to build your ego, it's, it, it's not going to work. Um, you'll get through the courting stage when everyone's excited and then it'll fall apart one at a time. We see it happen all the time. Or you're going to have constant turnover. You're not going to be able to retain agents for years and years and years. Or the way I heard about Mike was one of his agents, Dave. I mean, I think Dave would rather run out into a highway before he would leave Mike's team. He finds so much value being on your team. And I thought, man, that's really, I got to meet this guy because he's, he's really providing so much value. And it's not just a give take. Yeah. Well, so he's he was my first. So, Will, he better. was my first guy. Uh, David was my first guy. Still with in, you. He's yeah, still 2012. With you. 2012. Yep. That speaks volumes for you, man. Yep. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? Like uh, any little bits of gold that you might want to drop at the last minute for someone who's looking to start a team? Um. You know, I think we've I think we've kind of uh, encapsulated all of it. You know, I, I, I will say this, that, uh, you know, from my my nature, I'm always open to 
uh, talk with people. You know, I'm not I'm not a coach. I don't pay. I don't have people pay me for 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 coaching services. But you know, if anyone ever just wants to you know drop a question or have a quick call, I'm always open to to that. I'm pretty uh, giving with my time. Now, don't keep me on the phone for an hour. Uh, but seriously, if if you ever want to chat, you know, you can hit me up. It's 21mike.com. You can email me. It's Mike at 21mike.com. Seriously, like I, I have agents that just ask me little questions all the time. Hey, you did this. I want to do this. Um, uh, you know, and, and certainly if it's an email, I, I'm always ready to uh, respond to those. But, you know, I, I think yeah. that if you approach the business from that giving standpoint, that helps you become more successful. I think that the agents who approach, you know, with that, what can I get? What can I take? Um, that in general, that is more of a recipe for failure than the opposite. That what can I give you to make us all more successful? 100%, man. It's all about that. You don't want to build resentment. And a lot of the things, if it's about you, ultimately what happens is they beca people become resentful because they have their own wants and dreams. They're not your team. They're human yeah. beings with their own families and their own wants and their dreams and desires and plans for their own future. And you have to be able to be a part of that and remain a part of that. That's the way you keep them on the team or they're going to go. Yep. So that's well, where you, you have to come into this from a place of giving all the time, abundance all the time. How can you yeah. make their life better? If I can add one thing, one regret that I have is naming the team, the the 21 Mike team. It was never intended to be a team. Uh, you know, it was just I had 21mike.com and you know, now now it seems like it's about me and that was never the vision. I I never thought I'd have a team and it was never the vision. Um uh, so I I ha you know, that's one regret that I have and now I've got the brand. It's it would be hard to change it. Although that there has been some discussion of that. I know. Yeah, it's it that's the least of your worries. If yeah, yeah, 40 you, right. There, right. So, yep. <laughs> Listen, thanks for coming on, man. You've been great. I really appreciate you. And um, I'm the same way. I love helping agents, you know, agents that want to grow. I didn't get any help when I started, none, because I was too young. So I've always been one to want to help others. I really enjoy yep. it. So reach out to me, reach out to Mike, and thanks everyone for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. We're going to continue bringing excellent real estate agents and team leaders like Mike on our show from all over the country. So uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Building Stronger Agents podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review and share our podcast with your friends.